this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast. Our guest this week is a man who is well-known in Chicago. He is an actor, playwright, composer, musician, music director, singer, and award show host. He is starring in The Cat on a Hot Tin Roof at Raven Theater. He is John Steinhagen. Hello, John. How you doing, Tom? Great. Tell us about this role in in uh, of you playing Big Daddy in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof because a lot of us know you. I won't say primarily, but we know you in many many areas. But uh, recently, you've done a lot of comedies, and to see you play this this tremendous dramatic role, I thought was was just showed how terrific you are as an actor. Well, thanks very much. I uh, the three other plays that I've been in this past year have been comedies: the the Analytical Engine, of course, Odd Couple. Uh, the real Inspector Hound—they were all um, different kinds of comedies, but uh, yeah, to come out of those three and then do Big Daddy—it's—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite plays. Uh, Tennessee Williams is one of my favorite authors, probably in my top five. Uh, you know, so it's just one of those things that it's a gift. Uh, you know, when Mike Menendian asked me to play Big Daddy, I—I I, I remember saying to him, you know, you realize that you know, I'm not 65 or anywhere near 65 yet, and um, of course he knew that. Um, well, but, he cut down the age, right? Is it, was well, yes, we, we shaved five years off of it, but I'm, you know, <laughs> but yeah. still, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, to as soon as I got that out of my head, as soon as I said, you know, all right, that you, know, you don't have to necessarily be. 60 or 65 to play Big Daddy. I mean, when Burl Ives did it on Broadway, he was 45 years old. So that's about uh, that's about five years older than I am now. Uh, you know, it, he explained his various reasons for you know asking me to do this, and uh, you know, well, you know how can I how could I turn it down? I mean, you know, it's oh, a great play, and you know, I, I I'd never suspected that I'd play Big Daddy. Uh, so this is an opportunity, and besides, you know, we've got a fantastic cast to oh, work yeah. with. You know, so it's you know, it's just you know, it's just a disgusting display of talent. So you know. Well, I'll tell you, you came as soon as you came on. When I saw your name in the program, I I was a little reluctant. I said, Jesus, you know, I wonder if he's up to it. <laughs> Why do I doubt that? And, and and I think a few other people looked. Oh, do you see who's playing Big Daddy? Yeah. And wow, within ten seconds, when you walked on the stage, I said to myself. This this guy's amazing. Well, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't think about, uh, you know, I couldn't think about that. I just, uh, you know, in, in terms of doing it, it was just a matter of letting the letting the lines do the work. I mean, the playwright does all the work for the actor in in terms of, you know, getting the, uh, you know, the character, the words into your mouth, you know. So if I yeah, but you got it delivered on the stage, and you sure you, you have to take command because sure, I mean, sure. He, it is one of the it is one of the great roles in theater. Sure. Well, he certainly uh, he's probably uh, the most articulately vulgar man that uh, has been ever put into uh, into a play. I mean, it's a, and it's a really a revelation. You know, he comes barreling out there, and you know, he's he's certainly you know I got a bunch of uh, scores to settle, and he certainly goes about doing that in no uncertain terms. He's profane, and you you know I suppose you would say after about first ten minutes, am I supposed to like Big Daddy or not? I mean, he's just telling everybody off. He's horrible to Big Mama. Um, and then as the, you know, the act progresses, you realize, you know, he's out there to solve his son's problem or at least help his uh, son solve whatever problem that may be going on. In this case, what Big Daddy perceives as, you know, his son's alcohol problem. 
And we learned that Big Daddy has had a lot of varied experiences that has made him a sort of man of the world and uh, an extremely tolerant and understanding pe- uh, person. You know, it's just it, it's just very hard for two people to talk honestly with each other in any situation, and that's what the working out of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is in all three acts, but especially in Act Two, of these two characters being completely open and honest with each other. Yeah, I thought the way uh, the way you and uh, and uh, Jason Heisman interacted with one of the most effective uh, scenes of that play. And, and, you know, recently there's been several productions uh, of Cat, and I thought you guys nailed it. Sure. Well, that's that's very nice of you. I, I think Jason is the best, and, and I've been very fortunate in the past couple shows. I, I, basically, in any show that I've done is I've always uh, been opposite someone who is enormously gifted and is, you know, is there. And, you know, Jason, of course, is Brick. And, you know, when I work with Eric Roach on Odd Couple and with Philip Winston and the real Inspector Hound, and, I mean, I, the list could go back, you know, a couple of years to the people I've just been really, really fortunate to be out there with. You know, it doesn't feel like you're acting. It doesn't feel like you're pretending. You know, you're both really in the moment and the whole play, the characters, the atmosphere, it all takes over. It's just... You know, one of those things that I like to call, and what other people have called, this sort of magical something that you can't really pin down or nail as to, you know, how how you make these things happen. It's just, you know, it it is rather uh, magical, if you will. Yeah, and you certainly uh, know how to pick the theater companies. It seems like all the ones you get involved with are are top drawers. Well, I've been really lucky in that respect too. I mean, I, you know, I audition around and uh, for a whole bunch of things and uh, you know, Raven is one of those places where when I'd seen their shows uh for a number of years uh and I particularly remember their production of The Seagull back in uh, the beginning of 07. Just mm-hmm. amazing stuff and you say to yourself, "Gee, I would really like to work there someday." And I remember I had, I had auditioned for Laughter on the 23rd floor couldn't go to the callbacks because the callbacks uh, landed on the same day that I was doing a tech of um, 1776 at Signal. But uh, it was later that year that uh, Mike Menendian called me and said, you know, I'd like to see you read for Judge Brack and Hedda Gabler. And I was like, well, sure, that'd be fantastic. And, you know, I've... You were strong in that, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was was great. That was, once again, you know, Mackenzie Kyle was a magnificent Hedda, you know, and Judge gets to come out and terrorize her a little bit. It's, It's great fun. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so tell us now, with all of these hats you wear. Yeah. Uh, are you, if you, if I were to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, who are you? And you had to say, I am a writer. Okay. I know that. <laughs> okay. I know that, that sounds weird, long. but you know, I've always, I've always been that since I was a teenager. At least I've always fancied myself that. And I've certainly, that's been the ongoing undercurrent ever since I started working in theater. Uh, you know, it's just it's just the writing. Okay, how much does acting and playing these great roles? How much does that influence your writing? Or I'm not saying you 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 know you imitate the roles you're in, but oh, I understand. What do you learn from that? From playing like Tennessee Williams and you know Hedda Gabler and all. It's a, it's a totally different experience when you when you're reading or seeing a play. You know, I've certainly read Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I've certainly seen the the 58 movie version of it. I've also seen. Um, other versions of it, there's the, you know, the the one that adheres closely to the original text is the one that was done in the 80s with Tommy Lee Jones and Rip Torn. And, you know, so, but as far as being an actor in a play, it gives you a totally different 
uh, appreciation for the storytelling as, uh, you know, you read a play and that's fine. And you could say, oh, that's a great play. But plays are meant to be for- performed. Yeah, and some do read well, and oh, some yeah. don't. Yeah. I mean, ma'am, it this doesn't read at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get it up on its feet, and it's it's a whole, you know, it's like, wow, this is fantastic. Same thing with, you know, Tennessee Williams. You have a certain appreciation. You could even sit around the table like we did at the start of rehearsals. Everybody's reading through the script, and, you know, oh, you know, that's funny. Why, why are we repeating these phrases so much? Or isn't it funny how somebody, you know, expresses themselves? But you get it on its feet, and you do it, and... It's a it's it's a rush. It's and as a as a playwright, you know, that makes me uh, aware too that when I'm working on stuff, that there's going to be a certain rhythm, there's a certain pacing, there's a certain, you know, I, I always like to adhere to, or at least hope that I think to the what happens next uh, aspect. Uh, you know, that when you're watching something, you're really eager, you really want to know where this is going, you really want to know what's going to happen next. And it happens in all the great plays, especially all the ones that I've, you know, had the opportunity to, been, to be in, is that there is this momentum, and it is brought out in the text by the actors. As we are, we're not just standing around and spouting lines, there's an intention for everything, and you really get that when you are on stage and doing that's that's a good point. So yeah. a lot of uh, and, and a lot of young writers miss that, and so it's almost better that they get some kind of acting experience. Either. Well, there's you know you, just to get involved in any kind of uh, theater if you're a writer is um, you know in well in my opinion is a, is a good way to go. When I started out, I was a music director, uh, and um, because at the time when I started writing, I was mostly working on musicals, and in order to be physically active with the theater. You know, I I was a music director, and I did that for a for a number of years. And uh, you still you still have interest in doing oh, that? Oh, sure, sure. It just seems that in the past, uh, like year or two, uh, I've had more opportunities to be on stage rather than backstage at a keyboard or what have you. But oh, sure, I'm, it's not it's not one thing or another. It just seems to be where the where the action is right now. I guess. Well, <laughs> you I think say. you're an excellent musician well, thanks, too. Thanks. And I'm trying to remember the the show you did. Uh, with, I think it was two pianos uh, for oh, yeah. light uh, opera. Oh yeah, the uh, side by side by Sondheim. Right, right. Yeah, I did that with uh, Nick Sula was the second pianist on that one. Uh, an amazing musician. He was also he he was the music director for my musical uh, the Teapot Scandals, and of course he's done tons of fantastic things over at Boho and whatnot, and uh, a very very talented person and a very human person. I know that sounds bizarre to say, but he's just one of those people that you like to have in your, you know, galaxy of friends. Really well, a I good think, guy. Yeah, you guys uh, demonstrated your uh, talents on the on the keyboard. Oh, yeah, he's 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 fantastic. And that the the, the cast that I work with for side by side, again, gifted performers left and right, endlessly inventive, always eager uh to do stuff. It's just, you know, it's a good feeling. You get lucky, you know. Well, let's let's go over the the tea, teapot. Well, the teapot scandal. Yeah, yeah, that was terrific that you you wrote for uh, Portrait. Did you write all? Did you write the music lyrics? I did the whole. Yeah, I wrote the whole the shebang book? for that one. I think mostly because when I proposed the idea that uh, you know I wanted to do a musical based on the Harding administration, <laughs> I couldn't really find a collaborator to write the book. Uh, yeah, who uh, uh, would be know. hard to find people who knew who he was. 
Well, you know, it's it's like I don't want to do anything. You know, you can do all that research for that stuff like that. Even though you know the the, the show itself is, uh, you know, it's a musical vaudeville sure presentation was. of Harding's administration as put on by Harding's administration. You know, it's just one of those crazy shows that has a concept within a concept within a concept. Um, yeah, no, I wrote the book, music, and lyrics for that one, and that was that was a lot of fun. I wasn't involved with it other than that. I wasn't the music director or in the show. Uh, it was. You just, recommend that because I think that's good. To have other people in the collaborative process, I do too. I um, I've uh, I missed having a collaborator on the teapot scandal, but with the teapot scandals, I felt that my collaborator at the time was Porchlight. Mm-hmm. Only in that we were developing it through the off the porch program at Porchlight. So every time I had a draft available, we would get a bunch of people together in a room. I'd sit at the piano and we'd read through the draft, and I'd dog and pony the songs at the piano and we would talk about it and everybody had their ideas about you know what was working what wasn't so it was an ongoing process that uh, was a rather swift process too which is a good thing you know if you let like maybe a year go in between drafts you've got a project dragging on for you know five six years and people start to lose perspective but with uh, teapot it was written and put up in a rather short period of time which is um which is excellent. I thought it was really good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it, it one was, of my favorite shows. Yeah. Uh, has that had any life after Porchlight? Absolutely none. You're kidding. <laughs> Boy. Well, let's hope some of the theater people around you know town and around the nation who listen to our podcast, because uh, I know so many theater companies are, are searching for for good new work. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, I've, you know? I've certainly said there were, there were a couple other places where it went out to, but it didn't fit in their particular... Um, Either the kind of season they were planning, or perhaps their mission statement, or whatnot. I mean, the latest, the last I heard of Teapot was it earned me a was one of the finalists for the Noel Coward Award. They started a new Noel Coward Award last year, um, sponsored out of um, the York Theater Company. And while I did not pick up the Noel Coward Award, Douglas Cohen did. He's another fantastic writer. Uh, They did send me a very nice letter about uh, Teapot and my work, and uh, you know, so that's good too. You know, I guess it just depends on, you know, as anybody will tell you, finding a second production is of anything that's new is not that easy. People like to do premieres of new work. Uh, and so it's or uh, or do old chestnuts, huh? if you will, you yeah. know, or stuff that's tried and true or had has had some kind of life, let's say, on the Broadway or off Broadway circuit or has some sort of national buzz. And then it's maybe a little bit easier to you know, pick it up for a couple extra productions here and there and get it into the canon. But with new works, you can usually, you know, get lucky enough to swing a premiere. It's just getting that second, uh, getting that second production. That's the biggest hurdle of them all. Well, you know how funny it is. Uh, uh, once you get one of your works, whether it's a drama, comedy, or a musical out there that really gets a big splash, then all of a sudden some of your other work, seems pretty good then. Yeah, it? it's funny how that works sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's that's certainly the I mean that's certainly the case I know of lots of people and uh that I've uh that I've known and uh, you know whose work I follow and I and I try to see or read as much as I can of the new works that are going, you know, on as one of the resident playwrights at Chicago Dramatists I get a chance 
to see new works being developed all the time, you know, by... Yeah, the, they do They do terrific. You know, every Saturday at Chicago Dramatists, we have, at 2 p.m., they have a reading of a new work, usually by a resident playwright or one of the network playwrights. And as a resident playwright, I also uh, have to evaluate scripts that come in from our network playwrights. So there are tons of people working and lots of good material out there. Yeah, and the dramatists, boy, they've been hot the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've got... Uh, Two great shows coming up. We just finished The Invasion of Skokie, uh, which went over so well, which is written by one of our network playwrights. So, yeah, you know, everywhere you turn in Chicago, there's something new to see. Okay. Let's go back to something that I really enjoy when you did The Mystery of Edwin Drew. Oh, God, you're going to go back that oh, far. Yeah. Okay, okay yeah. sure. Yeah. Actually, further, because uh, I want to point out to people, you have four Jeff Awards. I do. Yeah. I do. And oh, I should say I don't. My folks do. <laughs> my my folks actually have my Jeff Awards. They're hanging well, they in their They have them up on the mantle. Huh? No, no, it's in their TV room. <laughs> <laughs> but Edmund Drude, I thought you were terrific. Uh, that was um, that was a turning point because up until Edwin Drude, I hadn't uh, really had any significant work on stage. I had uh, every now and then for about maybe fifteen years. I I would say maybe about three or four times a friend who was doing a play would ask me to play a supporting role that either required, oh, I don't know, somebody to play the keyboard or whatnot like that. So I would, you know, I would I would get up and I would do, you know, a, a smaller role or whatnot like that. I did maybe four of those, but I wasn't really, uh, you know, a continuous actor or anything like that. I certainly wasn't auditioning. But when Kevin uh, Belly and I were set to do The Mystery of Edwin Drood at Circle, he was directing and I was doing the music direction as usual. About a week before we would start music rehearsals, uh, he gave me a call and, you know, said to me, well, Todd Cornells, who was scheduled to play the chairman, the situation, he's got to go out of town, he can't do the role. And I was like, oh, my God, and we're going to have to audition people. And it's, you know, we're a week out. It's the big role. And he then he says, I'd like you to play it. <laughs> I said, really? Are you sure? Uh, so we found another music director uh, to take over that aspect. And I uh, undertook that huge role it was uh, it is a huge role it was enormously stressful especially from someone who had no prior history of uh, you know being in a stage role that it had required so much of everything well maybe it's because you didn't have that experience that you took something with almost no time to rehearse it's possible it's <laughs> possible i remember you know going through that script there are huge chunks of narration aside from the you know the song right. the musical numbers there are these huge chunks of narration all spoken to an audience that you may or may not be able to see depending on the lighting situation and uh i just remember the afternoons that i would spend in my kitchen you know memorizing paragraphs of stuff and going, oh my God, I'm gonna, <laughs> just, if I could just live through this, I'll be, you know, eternally grateful. And, and, you, and you end up winning the Jeff yeah, that was Award a, that for was Principal a, Actor in a Musical. That was a surprise, and that was a kick, too. That was a, that was a lot of fun. But once again, I, I think I was lucky because everybody in the cast of Edwin Drew, the stuff that we, you know, the people we had cast, cast already in the show, a uh, large portion were my friends. You know, people that I'd work with, uh, you know, as a music director or as a writer were up on stage with me. So, of course, there's a tremendous amount of support, and they're also so, you know, damn good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was, you know, that there was that, you know, it's it's, it's like jumping into a, a safety net, but knowing that the safety net is going to be there, I, I, I guess you could say. Well, you, you certainly did well with it. But before that, you had won a couple of other Jeffs for music direction. Yeah, Grand Hotel, uh, and Grand Hotel, and at uh, and, and Secret uh, Garden, right? and the Secret Garden, right? 
And then back in, well, I won't, you know, this is going way back. I, I picked up a Jeff for um, music and lyrics for People Like Us, a musical that I had, uh, an original musical that I worked on for Circle Theater, and Mark Stopek was the book writer on that one. Um, yeah, so. Well, you know, from what I saw in, in as you playing Big Daddy, you just might have another one coming up. Well, that's for someone else to decide. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, until that happens, uh, you know, every to, for me, every every time you go out there is different because you are, you know, we we like to say that in the theater is that the thing about live theater is that no performance is the same. And then you say, well, you just, I mean, you change it every night. No, we don't change it every night. But you know, every night you go out there, there are a, a different collection of people. Yeah, uh, you like know, that. of how you know anywhere between you know, I mean, Raven seats about maybe 140, 150 people. So, you know, the audiences could be small, could be mid mid size, could be packed. Uh, it could be a. You What's know, the reaction to the audience to uh, Cat? I, you know, we've had a couple of talkbacks after no, the no, show yeah, for us. No, you no. know, not it's not a general thing, but there have been sometimes some events here the past couple of weeks where we've had talkbacks, and uh, the audiences really dig it. They, you know, one gentleman I recall. Uh, you know, told the cast, uh, you know, the reason why we were, you know, we're kind of hesitant to applause after, applaud after, you know, a particular act is because they're so emotionally drained. It's an engaging show. It sure is. And, you know, they just sit there. They're as exhausted as Jason and I am or, or Liz or anybody who's, you know, gone through these, you know, each one of these acts and you're, you're just spilling your guts out there. Um, but they, yeah. but once, but once they're allowed to applaud, they, as as soon as they can regain their strength, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, they've been. Everybody's been very supportive to this, and you know, it's a testament, of course, to the Tennessee Williams writing and message. It goes beyond, you know, something that we would seem as temporal or, uh, you know, a period piece. That at its base, it does speak to something that we're all dealing with. You know, in 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 its broadest scope, one of the themes of Cat on Hot Tin Roof is tolerance. And the acceptance of truth, and also I think is that when you get the truth about something, what do you do with it? That's true. You know, yeah. Give a little commercial for it now. It's at Raven Theater. Yeah, we're uh, we're playing through December nineteenth. Show runs on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights at eight. Sundays at three. Thursday nights are always industry night at Raven. I think you can get a ten dollar ticket if you bring in your headshot resume. Oh, that's like good. That. I didn't yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that's good. And because um, I think every uh, the young actors in town ought to see because what a what a cast of of veteran uh, players you have in the show. But yeah, we, we during previews we had a a passel of Roosevelt uh, students come uh, to see the show. I'm not sure how they knew about it or if they had to see it or anyway. Regardless, they had come out afterwards and. This one young man came up to me and shook my hand. He said, "Sir, I just wanted to tell you that was that was inspiring." And that's you know, wow. hey, you know, that's you know, I'm 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 good to go. I mean, if that's if if that's the effect that we you know that we can have on people. A gentleman last weekend stopped me as I was on my way out. You know, I was in the parking lot, and he came up to me and he says, "I just want to let you know that you know I thought that whole show was extraordinarily inspiring, and I'm going to come see more theater." And you know, again. Fantastic. I mean, yes. you know, your duty's accomplished. If you've gone out there, you've told a story, you've touched an audience, and you've inspired them to see more, to find out what this theater thing is. You know. That's what it's about. Oh, and yeah, I've noticed all over town, uh, theaters that are doing good work are starting to really get audiences. Sure. Back. Yeah. Sure. Not just opening nights. A lot of shows, you know, because there's, there's so many conflicting openings. I'll go on a on an off night, not an opening night. And it's just great to 
to go get in there and you know there's only two empty seats right yeah. oh absolutely you know and we you know and sometimes things unconsciously overlap itself i mean like we're running concurrently with uh Writer's Theater production of another Tennessee Williams hotbed of passion, uh, Sweet Bird of Youth. Uh, yeah, Artistic Home. Oh, Artistic yeah. Home, excuse me. Yeah. You know. yeah, I've seen both. I saw them both almost back to back, and I, it was like, that's like theater heaven. Yeah, and double t- dose t- Tennessee Williams. Yeah, yeah, and they were, they were both brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I wish I, could, I wish I could see. I love Sweet Bird of Youth, too, so. and I wish I could see it, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll be putting the, I'll be brushing the white makeup into my hair to make me gray and drawing extra lines on my face and age spots and yeah, and what have you, and changing my voice, and uh, were, were these kids amazed when they see you uh, with all the all the gunk off? <laughs> yeah, well, the, then they hear me lie. talk because you know the voice the voice that I have to adopt for Big Daddy is totally different from my own voice. Yeah, it's a good accent. You yeah. uh, you you got that deep South down. Yeah, the the trouble with the, that accent is trying to make it intelligible. I mean, you know, yeah. you hear hear a real gentleman from Mississippi, which is the you know the dialect that I'm using. If if it's really authentic, you won't understand a word he says. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm it, sure there are lots of times where some of the stuff I'm saying on the stage might elide. I don't no, know. No, I didn't you know. get that, and I'm sensitive to that. Good, I, good. I you know, because that's one others, thing that we've been yeah. uh, we've been working on was just to make sure that we keep the authenticity of it, but articulate it enough that it can be understood. No. Okay, let's go on to another topic. Okay, the analytical engine, oh, yeah. which I thought was such a cute, smart play that uh, that you wrote that that you were into at at uh, circle theater yeah i normally you know i normally don't like to be in my own things but um good, uh, good because too many times it ends up a vanity show right <laughs> well i don't know i mean it's just that i don't you know for me i don't i don't have enough objectivity of the thing you know if you're working on it it's a new piece you'd like to sit there and maybe you know pay attention to you know the storytelling make sure that the storytelling is clear and what not like that uh whereas you know as an actor, I'm having to learn lines. You know, there's other things that I have to look out for as the actor, and you know, I'm up there doing things that are totally different from what the writer would be doing. So, but you know, I said yes to being in it only because uh, Bob Knut, who was the director, is an old-time friend, long-time friend, and another person whom I trust oh, yeah. implicitly, uh, and I had such faith in the in the script, and I had a cast of once again, you know, the entire cast of that show. You know, Trish Austin, Eric Lindahl, Mary Redmond, Danita Linnert, yeah, Kathy Ferraro. A- I mean, you know, it's like a it's like a who's who. It's like a walk of fame that I'm going to be on stage with. So, uh, you know, I, I said yes to that. It was the play was a lot of fun to do. Uh, I don't necessarily know that every play that I you know that I have in the future I'm going to be in. Uh, it's not something that I. It's another work that know. should be uh, spread out around uh, around the nation that I think could have some legs. It's a it's a nice it's a nice cute little. You know, romantic kind of little fantasy, quirky type thing that I think would be good for regional theaters, and I'm trying to market that right now. I was lucky in that I that that play won the uh, Julie Harris Playwriting Award uh, in '09, so there it has a little it has a little extra boost, I suppose. You know, if if people are looking for those kinds of things, so well, I think it's, you those know, are those those are the stables of regional theater. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. It's, it's, audiences awesome. love them. And Easy to produce, even though it is a period piece, you know, one set, six actors. I, You know, Walter Stearns always tells me, you know, John, you're a playwright who talks like a producer, but, you know, you got, <laughs> you know, you got to keep these things in mind sometimes, you know. Sure. I, I can tell it. You know. Yeah, what, what's the old thing when, when they look at a play and they look and they go, 12 sets? Yeah. 82 well, characters? Oh, yeah. my God, yeah. And sometimes that inspires people to make it, you know, creative. I mean, you know, to a cre- get it creatively around it. I mean, if the story's, 
good enough and you you got the ensemble to do a large cast play, you know, and a script calls for, you know, God knows how many sets. I mean, there's a creative way of doing it. There's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, itinerant theater companies around who are tackling larger ensemble shows. And thank goodness, it's, you yeah. know, I mean, I don't feel that I'm in any way limited as a writer to say, oh, I've got to write a two person show with one set or no set and no costumes. You know, there's one I'm working on now that's going to have 12 people on it, you know, 12 people in the show. Is that the one uh, you're going to do at Signal Ensemble? No, no, no. That's uh, the the one I'm doing at Signal is a play called Aces, and that has a bunch of multiple, uh, you know, the scenes are set all over Las Vegas in 1975, but it's not like they have to be concrete sets. Well, give us a little, you know, we never take these podcasts down, so give us a little plug for that, what that's about, because that's coming up in spring, right? That is. That's going to open on May 18th at uh, Signal Ensemble's new space over... Uh, yeah, the old bread line. Absolutely, yeah. the old bread line. Remember that, right by, right in that Ravenswood area. It's fantastic. Uh, and Yeah, they did a nice job on that space. Oh, yeah. I saw you guys in Inspector Hound. Yeah, we opened this new space and that show on the same night, and there's <laughs> nothing like you know a Herculean effort to get you know two things up and running at the same time, totally different from each other—a play and a new space. So yeah, yeah, and of course, aftermath is going to be uh, the remount of aftermath yeah. is going to be opening there soon. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's about, pretty well sold out, isn't it? I mean, oh, that's, oh, sure. Yeah. It's, well, it's a fantastic show. I mean, it's just a, it's just an amazing show, and you know the demand was such when it played over the summer that uh, you know. You have to bring it back. You have to bring it back. Of course, now it's in a different space. Yeah. But yeah, Aces is a play that's written specifically with the uh, Signal Ensemble members in mind. Uh, I'm not saying that it couldn't be performed by anybody else, but the characters, the tone, uh, were just suggested to me. You know, when I was working on something off the top of my head, and we've got about, I think there's about seven or eight, seven or eight people in the cast. Um, and that's set in Las Vegas of 1975. It's, it's essentially about uh, a bunch of uh, people who work in a third-rate casino in, you know, just off the strip in Las Vegas, kind of like a what the Hotel San Reno used to be. Okay. Um, well, you got a great bunch of uh, yeah. ensemble people at oh uh, yeah at Signal that <clears throat> that can that can play just about anything. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. really, I mean really. Nowadays, you know, when I'm thinking of new stuff, I I I, I my my first go-to, my my cast in my head is is usually the my my dear dear friends at uh, at Signal. So we're looking forward to that one, um, okay. and I will be in that one too, well, because I am a Signal Ensemble member, and uh, hey. I couldn't get talked out of it. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. <laughs> I'd do anything for Ronan Mara, really. Yeah, he's, he's a I mean, good kid, and he's he's a talent. He's a terrific know. writer. Too. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's he was an inspiration for me. His landslide from a couple of years yeah. back was something I had seen. Long before I had auditioned for, yeah, I enjoyed that very you much. You know, and and aftermath, incredible, incredible. Okay, last question. Yeah, uh, tell us about some of your influences as a as a writer, as a as an actor, and what advice would you give to young uh, artistic people who can't make up their mind? Should I be a writer? Should I be a musician? Should I be an actor? Well, I can answer the first two okay. questions rather easily. Okay. You know, who are my influences and, you know, that okay. sort of thing. And uh, I, I guess you could say everybody and anybody. I, I really don't have a, a specific writer that I've tried to, I should say, mimic or that I point to and say, oh, yeah, this is the person who got me started in theater because, you know, they all do. I mean, I, I, mean, I certainly have my favorites. Um, 
but my favorites is a, it, it's a long list. You know, it's not like I have a top five. Uh, same thing with this. As far as acting, I, I am, I unfortunately never took any acting courses or went to school for acting, but I've had the amazing luck to have worked with so many different talented people, uh, in the years that I was working as a music director and seeing my shows done and, and of course now as an actor that, you know, I really learned from the people that I am on stage with. I learned from the people that I work with. Who my apprenticeship. Coach, if you will, you yeah. know, I mean, and of course I'm a big old movie buff, so, there's a lot about the classic films that I really, you know, in, enjoy. You know, anybody who tells a good story and anybody who's genuine. Is, so what would you advise? My advice is is that if you're looking to, if you don't know if you want to be one thing or another thing or another thing or another thing, I say be them all. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being, and I'm not just saying this because of myself, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with being an actor and a musician and a writer, or, you know, if you wanted to be a director and a choreographer and a lighting designer or, or what have you. I'm always, I remember something that the writer Cynthia Ozick said in uh, the mid-90s. She was a novelist, a fantastic novelist, and she embarked upon writing one play. And uh, it was a totally different world for her, but she made a really keen comment about you know, what we do as artists and should we have one particular format in which we express ourselves? And the answer is no. And she says that you can send a bird flying over any country you choose, but what matters is that it has wings, you know, not so much. And so I've always remember that is that, you know, this is, this is, this is who you are. This is how you're going to express yourself. It doesn't matter if you're expressing yourself physically on stage or on paper or in direction or design. It's that you have the wings to do it. That's great advice. I wish it, I wish it was I wish it was original to myself, but I can't take credit for that. But it's something that's always you know always stuck with me. Very yeah. important. Well, thanks for bringing it up, yeah. and uh, uh, thanks for a great interview. Oh no, no it's, uh, my pleasure is all mine. Folks, go see a play this week.